It's good to be with you this morning, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 18, verse 28. I'm going to be continuing this morning a little bit in somewhat of a series, although the series time frame has been extrapolated a little bit. Um, last I was with you, we discussed the problem of pain, the existential problem of human suffering, and how that sort of to our, our worldview as Christians. And we're going to be continuing that theme this morning a little bit, and um, I'd like to look at a topic of how can Christianity be so arrogant? How can we claim to have the truth? So if we'll read together from John chapter 18, starting from verse 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called, Jesus to, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say, this, say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So, are, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Let's pray. God in heaven, we ask for open hearts and minds to hear your word this morning as we think about uh, difficult topics that are very real questions for a lot of people, including ourselves. We ask for your grace and your mercy to us as we consider these things this morning, and we ask for soft hearts and minds. And Father, if, um, we, if I say anything this morning that is not of you, I ask that it would be forgotten. And we turn this time over to you. In, just, in Jesus' name, amen. My friends, it is not melodramatic to look around us and believe that we are on the precipice. I suppose that I'm falling victim to the mentality that every previous generation before me has fallen into, and that 1,900 years ago and the generation immediately following the one that shook the hands of Jesus, the voices of preachers were surely calling out that we were in dire need of turning things around. But I invite you to look around us, think of your everyday life. We're better connected, better educated, more advanced in the fields of science, technology, medicine, engineering. We're more aware of and have greater knowledge of our fellow humans than any other time in human history. 
In some ways, we can look at where we are at this very point in time in Fanwood and utter the sentence, we are living in quite literally the greatest time in one of the most free and amazing places in all of human history and not be guilty of hyperbole. We are at a time in which we are more free in speech than ever before, have the most advanced platforms with which to share and spread ideas, and can see the most stunning and fantastic accomplishments with just a click on YouTube. And in many ways, we find ourselves as the most, one of the most economically prosperous societies in all of human history. And yet, we find ourselves in a society in which the suicide rate has to continue to climb almost every single decade, with a brief respite around the late 1990s, with approximately 1.9 million suicide attempts in the United States in the year 2017, according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So what gives? We're better off than we've ever been. We're better educated than we've ever been. We're better connected than we've ever been. We're better. Humanity is better than it's ever been. That's what it appears. But look around you. Enter into a conversation with someone you disagree with about politics, if you even dare. We're becoming an increasingly angry and fractured society. A dear friend and brother in Christ, whom I love dearly, has told me that he believes we're more divided along racial lines that at this very time than at any point since the 1960s. Ask a dear friend with a different political bend than you what they think about the concept of universal health care and if it is or is not a fundamental human right. Ask a dear friend what they think of the death penalty or assisted suicide or the crisis at the southern border. I envy you if what you find in this person is someone with whom you can sit and calmly and logically exchange ideas generously with care and love for each other. We certainly don't see that for many of our pundits. We've been placed in a veritable cauldron, the ingredients of which are fear, jealousy, deceit, anger, and above all else, a fierce belief that 50% of the country that votes along different political lines than you is not only wrong, but they are the enemy, liars, and not to be trusted. If you hold a, political, a particular political point of view, and that so happens to be contrary to the mob that you are confronted with on either side, then not only are you an outright idiot, but you're probably also a danger to society and progress. Fox News tells you CNN is the enemy. CNN tells you Fox News is the enemy, and along with all of their adherents, and we are left only with anger. So it's into this world that we have to ask, we must walk and ask the very real questions of life. Origin, morality, meaning, destiny, whether or not we are aware of it, all of us have based our lives somewhat on the answers to these questions, both in this room and, and worldwide. Every worldview must have some type of response to some of these questions. And if you listen closely, I challenge you this week, if you listen closely to your friends, your colleagues, the man on the train beside you, the whispers of these questions sneak into our everyday lives. However, when we claim to know, not by anything that we've done ourselves, mind you, but the truth of the matters, the refrain is quite the same as Pontius Pilate, as he asked it of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, which we find recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 18, which we've just been discussing. You see, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? 
He asked the right question, but what did he do next? He didn't stick around to hear the answers. He turned and walked away. The serious thinkers and political actors of our time have been asking these questions with some vigor, and the outcomes are quite astonishing, actually. Christianity is often criticized on the basis that it is arrogant to claim your religion is the true one. I guarantee you most of us in this room have heard that, that type of criticism before. And that's a real thing for people. That's a, that, that is a very real question, and there are very real questioners behind those questions. How can you possibly claim to have or know the truth when there are so many people out there, intelligent people, who have substantially different views of the nature of God and reality than you do. It's this very question that I'd like to spend a little bit of time on this morning. I suspect, it, I suspect it's a common question, and I'm happy to be corrected if I'm, I'm wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially if many of our students have either directly heard this critique against Christianity, if not exactly stated exactly in that way, uh, the mood of the day, as it were, in our post-millennial society is one in which exclusive statements are somewhat of an anathema. And someone can change their, their gender or self-identification from day to day. Extrapolating this idea to a little bit of a softer tone, which I actually suspect is most individuals, uh, there is a real desire for connection. What's born of that idea that Oh, that's too exclusive for me. What's born out of that? The idea is a, a desire to include others, to have a real connection, to be accepting of and caring for other people. There's nothing inherently wrong with that bend, I must say. And let me remind you that that is precisely why Jesus came to die, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the very fact that we are uncomfortable with exclusivistic claims shows that we're a society that is as uncomfortable with truth as Pilate was. Let's dig a little deeper into that question and pay special attention to that question. And remember, friends, that all of us who have trusted in Christ and found truth were once just ships at sea without a rudder, tossed to and fro by our own whims, subjected to the very winds of our own emotions without an anchor true and firm. If we ever, ever lose sight of our utter dependence on Christ and his grace and mercy, we've lost the battle before we've taken the field. To quote Ravi Zacharias, the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful and true, yet oftentimes one will ask, how can it be true that there is only one way? Odd, isn't it? that we don't ask the same questions of the laws of nature or of any assertion that lays claim to truth. We are discomfited by the fact that truth by definition is exclusive. That is what truth claims are at their core. To make an assertion is to deny its opposite. Rather than complain that there is only one way, shouldn't we be delighted that there is one way? None of your science professors, if they are worth a shred of intellectual fortitude, will ever put the equation for the force of kinetic friction equals the coefficient for kinetic friction times the normal force and then tell you that, that you can just substitute a different coefficient if you'd like. 
despite the fact that we're becoming more comfortable with bending objective reality in our culture society, no one has yet decided to alter the formulas required to take human beings and, and blast them into the vast blackness of space. Such a thing as sheer folly. No reasonable person would risk bungee jumping with a rope with poor elastic intrinsic value. Now, I don't want to suggest that physics equations and metaphysical questions are one and the same. I'm just pointing out that a response to an assertion of truth of, well, that's just your truth, is in and of itself not logically consistent by definition to withstand scrutiny. So what's been done with our discomfort about exclusive claims of religion? The 20th century has seen some massive statewide efforts to propose just one solution, which is to try and ban religion altogether in the name of creating a more tolerant and peaceful society. Three such societies are Soviet Russia, Nazi Germany, and the Khmer Rouge regime, of which conservative estimations suggest that some six to nine million, although some are in the tens of millions, six million Jews and other victims of Nazi persecution, and between 1.5 and 3 million people were slaughtered in the name of progress and a forcible disbanding of religion. I am not suggesting that our atheist friends, and I hope you do have some, are suddenly going to become the next Joseph Stalin. But what I am comfortable in in stating is that the forcible removal of religion, because it is too divisive, has yielded catastrophic results on humanity. To quote Alistair McGrath on the history of atheism, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history, that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. Banning religion outright hasn't seemed to work out very well for man. So coming to a next possible outcome, do we disband religion as a society? Do we condemn religion? Dumbing each religion down and stating that each religion essentially teaches the same thing doesn't quite work either. And this is perhaps one of the most common criticisms that we'll hear of Christianity. Let's unpack this a little bit. All one has to do is to consider how the United States would react if you were to become a believer in the ancient god Moloch, who demanded child sacrifice in order to do away with that notion. So all religions are not the same. They do not all teach the same thing. Suppose you move on from that and narrow the focus to the main world religions of the day then. Who then is God? The three Abrahamic religions teach that God is a being who holds people accountable for their actions. But Buddhism doesn't even believe in a personal God at all. So all major religions do not teach the same thing. Essentially saying that each religion is equally valid and basically teaches the same thing as other religions is claiming to have a superior knowledge of and concept of God yet at the same time denying that right to the religions under consideration. I'll borrow a little bit here from from Tim Keller and use the following analogy. Consider three blind men who are walking through a jungle. They come upon an elephant, 
And the elephant is quiet and still. It's not moving. It allows the men to come up and, and come near to them. The first man comes up to the trunk, and he touches the elephant's trunk. This creature surely is long and smooth, and it's curved but flexible. It feels like a snake. The second man comes along to one of the elephant's great legs, and it walks by and, and touches the side of the elephant's leg and says, this, this is firm and hard and round like a tree trunk. And the third man comes by and runs his hand along the side of the elephant and says, this is firm and flat like the side of a building. This is a common analogy used to describe how all major religions see in part but not fully. But let's unpack that a little bit. Each of the men sees in God in part but does not see fully. This common analogy, again, is used to point out how each religion might see in part but can't see the whole truth. But who's telling the story? From what independent vantage point is the storyteller able to see the whole? In appearing humble and saying that the truth is much greater than our ability to grasp it, the one making such an assertion is claiming exception from its own laws. What grounding exists upon which one can claim to fully see enough to relativize all of the claims that these other different scriptures and holy books make? To quote Tim Keller, how can you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have claimed the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality you just claimed that none of the religions have? This common criticism against religion in general and against Christianity in particular ends up as self-defeating. It's claiming particular authority while at the same time denying that authority to those who are being criticized. So is Christianity arrogant? Are truth claims arrogant in and of themselves? No, by definition they are exclusivistic. Do all major religions teach the same thing? Aren't we all just sort of milling about and trying to learn about God? Well, to some extent, yes. But claiming that each religion, as a common criticism against Christianity, to claim each religion sees in part and all point to God is claiming exception from its own rule. It's stating to have a specific vantage point upon which it can view all of those and say all of, none of those are right all of them might be right in part. So, how then shall we live? If you're here with us this morning and you've had some real serious questions about your faith, or the nature of faith in general, or if any of these can be trusted, then trust me, you're in good company. I must stress so vociferously at this point in time that these are real questions for people. They have kept people away from Christianity for years. To marginalize these questions is folly. I promise you, if you listen long enough, that you'll hear these questions raised. Maybe not directly, but at least indirectly. How we interact with these questions 
And more importantly, how we interact with the questioner is much more important. As many of you are aware, Tanya and I have recently gotten engaged. And when we first met, we spent hours walking through Morristown, going on hikes to High Point in northern New Jersey. We're going to the Met in New York City. And we had many spiritual discussions. When we met, Tanya was not a Christian. She's given me permission to discuss our story a little bit. Uh, And so I'll do so here, not in order to boast in anything save Christ himself. Through the mercy of God and the voice of many I love and trust, I realized at an early stage that how I communicated Christ's love through my actions and how I treated her was of more importance than what Bible verses I could quote off the top of my head. Like many of you, most of my circle for most of my life has been one of close Christian fellowship, and for that I'm thankful. But being in a relationship with someone with different beliefs initially than I did was truly a blessing because it challenged me to be what I claimed to be. If If you meet a classmate for the students in the room who says all religions are the, are the same, and you snap back with, you're claiming a moral high ground that uh, you at the same time are denying to those who believe in those religions and thus defeat your own premise for moral criticism. If that's your response, I promise you, you've already lost. If we meet those who don't know Jesus, and the light within us is darkness, then we are guilty of exactly what Jesus criticized the Pharisees for being and our whitewashed tombs on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. You can feel free to ask this of Tanya afterwards if you like, uh, but I had, to earn, I had to earn the right to speak the truth. I had to earn it in how I lived, how I treated her. Friends, if we claim to have and know the truth and cheat on our taxes and whine and complain to our co-workers, to act if we're holier than thou, if we stand on the street corners and throw Bibles at people's heads, and if we let pride seep into every portion of our lives, then I promise you that we have already lost. It is not enough for us to have the truth and know the truth. We must carry it and live it into the world that we're going into. How many atheist friends do you have? When was the last time you embraced a Muslim and told them you loved them? When did you invite someone with a different worldview into your home and share a meal with them? When was the last time you wept over a soul on your way to work, pleading with God Almighty to go before you and heal their heart and show them Jesus? Or have we become quite like the man that James warns us against? In James 22, and become only hearers of the word and not doers? Have we forgotten the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel? That was a command. Church, we need to wake up from our slumber and with gentleness and grace tell the story of Christ. You bring the name of Christ with you and it is a salve to the hurting world. Let's pray. 
God in heaven, we thank you for this brief time that we've had to consider very real questions that people have. There's so many wise and intelligent people in the world. And a lot of those people think a lot differently than we do. And Lord, these, these very common questions of how can you possibly claim to know what the right path is? How can you possibly claim truth? And God, we simply look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we thank you for your grace and mercy to us in rescuing us up out of our own misery, being lost in darkness without you, whether or not we realized it at the time. And God, we ask that you allow us to have grace and mercy in our hearts as we go into our week, as we listen to people, let us listen to them. As we interact with and love people, let us love them. And if we are given the opportunity to speak of you, we ask that you go before us and speak of you in love that we communicate the heart of the gospel, that God so loved the world. God, we ask that you equip us, that our speech be seasoned with salt, and we ask that you go before us. In Jesus' name, amen.